Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. Hi, okay, everyone. Hey, guys. Phil Tarrant here, co-host of Investing Insights with Right Property Group, joined by Stephen Waters, Esquire, and Victor Kumar, Directors, Right Property Group. Gentlemen, how are you going? Going well, Phil. Thank you very much for the Esquire. Vic, you got nothing this time. <laughs> no, no. I was just thinking, just before we came on live, you know, Phil was really apologetic that he didn't review the last time and uh, therefore the introduction. I'm not sure if being called a squire is ribbing. It's, 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 the, it's the largeness. It's I've, turn, turn I've, it <laughs> well, I don't know, body shame or fat shame. Oh, no, I, was, I was talking about his persona, not his body. <laughs> I thought you were talking about his ego personally. Oh, yeah. Well, Just seems being diplomatic it's over in, here. It's inflating, it's inflating faster than the property market. But uh, anyway. Hey, Stephen, I haven't caught up with you uh, on this uh, – podcast since the great floods of uh, 2021. Do you see any impact? Is there like, I know you sort of live out that part of Sydney and um, the Hawkesbury River sort of overflowed mm. and it was pretty dire for a lot of people. Yeah, we were. We were untouched. Yeah. It, um, we were cut off but mm. only because of the, the bridges went under, but we were, you know, we were fine. Unfortunately, a lot of people weren't. Yeah. They lost their homes, their sheds, their equipment, you know, whatever it was. But that is, that's Australia. That's Australia. Yeah, fire, flood, Flouts, famine. Was it droughts and flooding rains? I love the far horizon. I love the jewel sea. Her beauty and her terror, the wide brown land for me. You must know that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I sing it every Dorothy, Friday night. Was that Dorothy McKellar? Yeah. It, um, but it's it's amazing how many how quickly people forget. Mm. Same with fires and flood zones. And I think we've touched on that before. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of areas of Australia where people invest today or purchase or live. Mm that do go underwater, whether it be the one in 50 or the one in 100. And it would seem that everybody has short memories until it happens. So the question then is, like, it's one in 100 years, which means that it may happen every second or third generation. So does it really matter when you are actually investing in property, Vic? Uh, look, I think that's that's the biggest fallacy out there that will only flood one in 100, right? Mm. So if you look at the Brisbane floods, the one in 100 event happened three times in five years. Yeah. Yeah, so it is very much seasonal. What they're looking at is a, is a historical data to say in the last couple of centuries, it's flooded on average once in 100 years. Mm. But that does not mean that it's not going to flood next year or it's not going to flood three, four times in a century. It's just a flood level that they've given. And more often it floods historically, the shorter the number, so one in 20, one in 50 yeah, in that sense. it's tough because people make investment decisions on the information they know in a given time. I know smart investors will look back down through, but this is the sort of intersection with natural disasters and an infrastructure. You know, they're pretty much saying those floods would have been mitigated considerably in uh, the Sydney base than should they did the work that they should have done many years ago by elevating the dam walls within Warragamba, which was stalled. I think the state governments wanted to do it. The state government wanted to do it, but certain groups of people were concerned about some, you know, environmental impacts. So they said, don't, yeah, look, don't, I think, don't do it. You know, this is this ongoing debate and discussion around I it. think it, there's always a sector of the community that will find argument mm. in anything, yeah, whether it be a dam wall, fire, fire breaks, you know, fire reduction, yeah. hazard reduction, whatever it is, there is always a sector of the community that will argue it. Whether it be right or wrong is a different story, but we just move on. So baseline, never invest in flood-prone areas. Don't don't invest in a problem you can't solve. Smart. Yeah. 
Because you can't solve floods, right? You can't solve bushfire if you're investing right in the zone. That's mm. a risk you're taking. So if you're taking that risk, you need to budget for it. And the first thing is, why invest there to begin with? Mm. Uh, there's always some arguments in investing in those areas if the numbers work, but you need to be looking at it very short term. I think the explanation, though, is within the area itself. So if you take the Hawkesby area of Sydney, most of that is under 1 in 100. Mm. So it's potentially the interpretation mm. of it and how the councils put those overlays on it in terms of their mitigation and their legalities. And one could argue that, well, let's not buy you know, 30-storey walk-up unit blocks built by company A, B and C and call them the Opal Towers mm. because we're going to have problems. I think the easiest way to solve the problem is at the beginning, just get it yep. right. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't mind that maxim, Vic, around don't invest in problems you can't solve. Mm. That's sensible. Sensible. So there's a lot of problems evolving in this current market, though, isn't there? You it think uh, you guys have been in this game for quite some time. You've seen multiple market cycles, and, and no doubt you just sit there talking to each other, just watching the same problems arise and emerge, and people make the same wrong decisions you've seen in, in past markets and scratch your head and go, you know, you've got podcasts like this. Uh, there's a lot of information. I don't know, you guys are very active in supporting property investors, but why do they keep making the same mistakes time and time again? Agreed. And ego. Is it that much out there? Like, is it is it happening right now? Do you see it? Oh, for sure, it, it is. And and just to go back, down and what was it? Don't invest in something that don't invest you can't, in problems you can't resolve. Mm, I think yeah. Problems yeah. that you can't resolve, which I would agree to, for the most. However, if you take today's crisis, mm. we've got no control over mm-hmm. that. Yet we're investing in it. This is true, and, and because of it. So I think if you educate yourself well enough, depending on the crisis decisions. and depending yep. on whatever it is that's yeah. in or out of control. There are certain times where you need to go against the grain. This is yeah. one of them, although the general herd mentality brackets FOMO has been well and truly underway for the last, I'm going to call it six to eight months. Mm-hmm. But we are seeing the same mistakes this time around that a lot of people are making as they did during the GFC. And, and this is where uh, you know what, what you said sort of resonated is that we need to take an educated approach towards investing. Look at what the situation is. So in this situation, is the COVID and um, how we can take advantage of it and also look at it from a viewpoint of not today, but how is it going to pan out in five years' time? In other words, don't become a Facebook investor. Mm. That's where most people get wrong today. Oh, I can just see a Facebook a, a, law, a lawsuit happening there. <laughs> I can see Victor's new book coming out soon. <laughs> yeah. a, a sequel to what was the first one called? You should know this. Yeah. I know. You got, a, you got a personalized. I do have that. Yeah. My autograph. I read it. It's, it's my Bible for, <laughs> for investing in property. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, and, and there is a whole bunch of different theories around you invest when other mm-hmm. people aren't investing. And, and if you do have an appetite for risk is when you get the biggest gains. And you're seeing all this right now. Now, the environment. I was writing a, a sort of strategy positioning piece the other day, Steve, and I was trying to articulate this current market in a very simple way that most people would understand. And the way I try to frame it, and we're recording this podcast the week after, essentially week to the day after the handing down of the the budget for the coming financial year. And I was trying to understand this current property market and sort of if you take the idea of some Martians landed on uh, Australia today, how would you explain the property market to them? And my sort of positioning is, and for you guys to challenge um, and to help our listeners, there's just this latent latent activity that's just been sitting around for two or three years where people haven't been transacting in property. So that's one point. And then intersect that with record low interest rates and largely quite a positive attitude 
towards the healthy economy moving forward. So pretty good consumer sentiment. There's sort of the three pillars of how I tried to shape my narrative position, property market. Thoughts, fair, is there anything we're missing there, do you think? I think you could probably add in that it's a flight to safety. Okay. Yeah, it's a very the asset so- class. Yeah, the asset class. It's very yeah. solid. It doesn't have traditionally the peaks and troughs of other other asset classes. Mm. But I also think that people are aware that there are vast areas throughout Australia that are undersupplied. Mm. And as we become more educated, thanks to technology and our ability to get that education, we can make wiser decisions around, you know, potentially some of those fundamentals. And I think people have done that very, very well for the most. Mm -hmm. However, I think there are, once you start to gain momentum when investing, you tend to experience the wins and you forget about the fundamentals of investing because you're just after the win, the win, the win, the growth, the growth, the growth. And some of those absolute necessities you start to push by the wayside and we're starting to see those mistakes again. You're starting to see people think that they're bulletproof, right? And that they're taking into account that the interest rates will remain the way it is. So they're doing the budgets for the now. They're not doing the budgets in terms of holding the property in the future. So as we say in every single podcast, there's two sides to the equation, growth and cash flow. Now, if you start focusing just on the one side, which is what most people are doing right now is growth, 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 you then lose sight of the cash flow. And it's very easy then to become a statistic three, four, five years down the track when the rates move against you or when life moves against you, you change jobs or you're forced into retrenchment. All of those things do play into how your portfolio shapes in the future. Well, there's no necessity now to Mm. worry about the cash flow because rates are so low and rents are fairly strong and buoyant. But that won't be a a forever moment in time. So Mm. rates will go up eventually, probably sooner than what most people Mm. are are entertaining. Mm. And it'll be that inflection point where if you have concentrated just on the one component, you'll become resentful. It's the ability to retain the wealth, right? So it's fairly easy today to get into property Mm. and therefore, in inverted commas, be wealthy and ride the wave of growth if you've got it right in terms of the areas, the type of property and how it matches to you. But the ability to retain it generational is lacking because it's not planned forward looking at both sides of the equation and also not looking at it from a worst case scenario. If rates go to X, what am I going to do? If my property is not rented for a period of time, what do I need to do? How can I manage that? Will I lose my home? Do I need to have the buffers in place? And what are the buffers that I need to have in place? And if I'm down to one income, because generally people start investing, they start a family as well at the same time. So they're not planning for you know, the reduction in income. Mm. So all of those need to be formulated and looking at it from a rounded approach rather than isolated property sitting in this box and life is sitting in this box. You need to have it rounded. I think I agree with that. I do probably want to talk or make a point around generational investing though because when it's generational investing, just subconsciously that's out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And most people do want to invest for the now or the medium and the long term and to a degree, there is that generational component, but those that just compartmentalize it into the generational component don't really have the plan to sustain it for that exactly right for yeah, that length yeah. of time to get it to the next yeah. generation. It just well, this will be a great asset for my kids, kids. and kids' kids, yeah, but yeah. how do I actually control it? Where are the moving pieces that I need to underpin it with? So I would, once again, come back to the designer decade. That's it, right? So when people do sit down with us, uh, Steve, the first thing we say is uh, do it for yourself first and then look after the kids, right? It's like like getting in an airplane. Mm. The first thing they say is put the mask on yourself first before you put the mask on the person next to you. Absolutely. 
So I don't want us to sound like the merchants of doom and gloom, but I think there's a very measured and mature conversation for those investors who may be new to property investing and or have not seen multiple market cycles like you guys. So what we're not saying is don't invest in property. What we're saying is that property is a great asset class. And if you are or do choose to invest in property, there are certain ways to mitigate the negative impacts and maximise the positives around it. There is a whole generation of investors there today that have never seen rates above 4% mm-hmm. ever. In fact, there's probably a good component of those that have never seen rates above three and a half. Well, when we started, we were paying sixes and sevens, I think, back in the day. Correct. Yeah. Sevens. Yeah. High sevens. High sevens. At that. Mm. Um, and so they don't know what they don't know yet and what they're about to, or not about to experience, because that sounds like it's tomorrow, but eventually it will happen yeah. where your rates will be a little higher than what they are today and you need to control that cash flow accordingly. Maybe think about it, you know, invest between the flags. Invest between the flags. That makes sense. So um, you arrive in Sydney Airport and you see this big sign saying, if you swim in Australia, swim inside the flags. Why do you swim inside the flags, Steve? Because it's safe. And it, there's people the, with the eyes on The likelihood of drowning Correct. It's, <laughs> is a lot less. Yeah, and it's the truth because we start to get a little bit experimental the more mm-hmm. we get successful and we start to elevate our risk profile just inherently. And sometimes we go too far as inexperienced investors, no matter what the asset class yeah. is, and you start to roll the dice based on the fact that everything will be the same, mm. and it's not. So if you swim inside the flags, what normally happens is that some bright person, often the lifeguard, says that's the safest place on the beach for most people to swim. There'll be a lot less rips, a lot less currents, hopefully no sharks, you know, which is a good analogy. <laughs> um, most of the time you can wade. Uh, a whole bunch of people condense in one area so they can be policed and patrolled. So there's a lot of benefits swimming inside the flag. When I go to the beach, I'm a very competent and comfortable swimmer. I never swim inside the flags because I'm normally out trying to find the area which is probably a little bit more dangerous and risky because I get a much better outcome from it, i.e. bigger waves or, or whatever. So so based on that analogy, you know, most people that come and see you, Steve, like to swim inside the flags. But if you are those people who you might have been swimming for a long time and you're able to look for different types of investments in this particular environment, what's attractive to you? Look, I think if I just come back one step, investing between the flags is clearly the safer option, mm. but we can be on those extremities, yeah. if you will. We don't need to go where the rips are, where the sharks are, and it depends on your risk profile. If you're after the quick win, well, then you'll go to the most dangerous part of the beach yeah. for the biggest waves. Yeah. But you might die. Jeez, that's melodramatic, isn't it? It's true, uh, though. It, yeah. And there's no one really looking out for you if you go and do that. Yeah, so you might catch – I'm just going down a path. You might catch the greatest wave of the century, but you'll be dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which a lot of people did, Vic, uh, 10 years ago chasing mining towns, right? That's right. That's right. And, yeah, and, yeah actually, that's a really good analogy, right? Yeah. So uh, you're swimming outside the flags. It's more lucrative, better cash flow, better immediate growth. But the fundamentals weren't there. In other words, the safe waters weren't there. Mm. And therefore, they did pay the price. Now, for those that were experienced that got in and out, they did, did well. pretty okay. Mm. But so, that makes you then a speculator, that's right. not an investor. Yes. And I think that's the difference. It's a big difference. And going back to this current market, I think there's a lot of people speculating this market when necessarily they shouldn't be. Where you should be, to your point, Vic, is we during this period of market, there are so many considering old markets past. There's so many ways you can get it wrong right mm-hmm. now. And we'll get into them in a moment. But baseline philosophy, if you're relatively new to property investing or you're property invested with one, two, three, four, five properties, 
you should be playing the safe game right now, yeah. which is seek capital growth, mm-hmm. but always with an eye on cash flow. Within, within the means of your affordability, right? So mm. what your household can afford to hold on to, not what your neighbor's doing, not what your friends are doing. It needs to come back to your financials and what your immediate and medium-term plans are in terms of work, in terms of family, in terms of maybe upgrading the home. All those things need to be taken into account before you actually start investing. And that then keeps you safe as the market turns. Yeah. Okay. So with the benefit of hindsight, and they say hindsight's a a wonderful thing, you guys get that right now because you've been in similar markets like this before. And and no doubt myself included, that's the reason why I use or choose to use an expert like a lot of Australians to support them investing in property. You're paying for that advantage and that experience. So for those of people who listen to this who don't necessarily use a buyer's agent, where does it go wrong? In this current market, Steve, we can go through some of these points just so people are aware of them. First and foremost, I think the biggest mistake people are making today, which is repeating yesteryear's mistakes, Mm -hmm. if you will, is thinking that the sun will always shine. And what I really mean by that is around the cash flow management, as Mm -hmm. Victor just mentioned a minute ago. The cash flow is the oxygen to the portfolio. It it creates sustainability, keeps you in the game for the growth Helps you hold on to the growth. Correct. I mean, because you can have all the growth in the world, but if you haven't managed cash flow, you've got nothing. You're a mm-hmm. victim. And that's the probably the first mistake that I see people making today, potentially investing in areas which are having strong growth and probably will be for the foreseeable future in terms of the growth pattern. However, the cash flow is horrific mm. and they're pushing themselves to extremities just to get a piece of that sort of growth train, if you will. And it'll only take one anomaly – to happen and the house cards falls. Yeah. And so we often talk about pigeon pairing or underpinning the portfolio, meaning that every property that you purchase has a direct reason for being there. And usually it's to complement what's existing. It's an absolute cornerstone of the whole entire process. Yeah. And Vic, you've probably seen in your long career doing what you do People jump into the market, this whole sort of FOMO idea, I better get in now because if I don't mm-hmm. get in now, I'm going to miss out on all this growth and I'm never ever going to be able to start investing in property. So people investing with no direction, you yep. must see it all the time. All the time, right? So one of the common questions people ask is, is now the right time to invest? Mm-hmm. right? And that's the wrong question to ask. The right question is, is now the right time for me to invest? Right? The me bit there is what they miss out on. Mm-hmm. And you know, for some this is not the right time because their job may be shaky. They, they may have just upgraded their home. They may be redlining their borrowing capacity or there's um, in a few things happening in their life. For others, it may be that you need to take a medium to long-term approach and get into the market because in two years' time, they may not be able to get in the market because they're trying to start self-employment as an example. Mm. Right? So it needs to come back to the person as to when is the best time for them to invest. And the real answer to that also is that best time to invest is 10 years ago. The next best time is today. I think also with, as you mentioned earlier about the whole FOMO and people missing out and everything that goes around that, I actually don't think it's a bad thing if it's that's what takes to to motivate you. Catalyst for action. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just how far do you take it, I think, Mm -hmm. is is probably the, the issue in a lot of the areas today because people are starting to shortcut those financial steps for today rather than mm. thinking about tomorrow. Yeah, and I remember being on the blower to you the other day having a chat and um, we spoke about this is where people investing in this market, they go about it 
you know, listening to this particular podcast or the Smart Property Investment Show or all the other sort of information out there, they invest on the basis of chasing other people's wins, and that was language mm-hmm. you you you've yeah. used, Steve. Um, so you hear all these great success stories, and this is as old as Adam, right? Like, oh wow, they did that, so I can do it as well, right? Mm. It's okay to seek to emulate success, but it's not necessarily a given. So you got to be quite considered, don't you? That's a, that's a really good way. To, it's not a given. Mm. And a lot of people that have that success have been working very hard for many years beforehand or they've just got dumb lucky. Yeah. And there's probably not much in between. Mm-hmm. Well, you only look at like a long distance runner or, you know, someone who's very capable of something. You think, you think it looks easy, right, because it's so natural. But you don't see the, the years and years and years of hard work and graft and behind the scenes type work that's gone to, for them to be successful. So, mm. you know, and I'm conscious of like doing podcasts like this and just going, hey, well, you know, look, it's a property has got 20 people in this portfolio, whatever it is. Like it sounds really easy, but it's <laughs> not. And you only hear normally, and I try and break down and actually tell the bad stories, but you only hear the good stories and therefore a lot of people are sort of clouded with this, this aura that property investment is easy and as long as you're in the game, you'll win just like everyone else. Well, fortunately, time will heal most wounds. Yeah. It's just as long as you can survive. That's right. You've got to start early yeah, enough to begin with. The time. But you're right. A lot of people tend to talk about the wins and the successes and, you know, this is the only way to do it because it's worked for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. We're a little different. We'll tell you about all the mistakes we've made and what hasn't worked. And we've been very public on our, mm. you know, holiday unit examples, you know, that's it. subpar as, regional as, areas. Has time healed that wound yet, Steve? It has, it still, actually. Yeah. It has. But thanks to a crisis. You know, the crisis yeah. has... So you knew back when you bought it that there was going to be this flight to our regional seaside locations where people want to live? Well, I actually, one better than that, I actually knew there was going to be this massive thing called COVID. This is way back in 2001. They called it the property Nostradamus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, um, yeah. Well, there's a new strategy, in, you know, invest for a crisis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, um, but it's the truth. Like I think if you learn from the mistakes and learn from the mistakes of others for sustainability, mm-hmm. it'll carry you far. Yeah. Look, you know, I've been investing in property for quite some time and I would largely haven't changed our, our strategy investing in property. And we talk about it a lot on this particular podcast and no doubt, Vic, you see it in this particular market. And it's interesting because it's a bit of a dichotomy because you don't want to change your strategy midstream, but you want to have a strategy which is agile and can be Adaptable. changed. So how do you get that balance? Look, you still got to look at it from a where you're aiming to, right? Mm. So what are we trying to achieve? Is it income? Is it number of properties, which is actually the wrong wrong thing to aim for, and in between as well, right? So uh, a lot of people uh, just target just the growth. It needs to be a blended approach, and depending on where the market is, where the interest rates are, determines whether you start from the cash flow side or from the capital growth side. Mm. And certainly, as time goes by, you need to still balance it out because if you look at a investor's journey, they start out, you know, with real zeal but not enough focus in trying to aim towards a property or a property portfolio they read all these articles they listen to podcasts they see other people's wins on and i say it again on facebook and they try and emulate that so they're trying to latch onto someone's in inverted commas success and invest accordingly Mm. the next thing that happens once they've got one or two properties the next big milestone happens year three or year five when if they're taking the traditional approach and they've got interest only, then they drop to principal and interest, yeah. where most people haven't budgeted for that in that sense. And therefore, their repayments just jump mm. significantly. And if they haven't catered for that, 
it does impact and then they start thinking you know it hasn't worked for me and it hasn't done what it was projected to but there is this adjustments that you need to make along the way to keep pushing in the direction as to what you're trying to achieve and as the journey unfolds what you're trying to achieve becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and sometimes you got to bring that forward to achieve it quicker or mm. push it back depending where market is depending on where your income situation is depending on where your appetite and risk is and that's the reality of property investing i agree i think the other reality to property investing is you are either passive or you are invested mm-hmm. uh, and there's a big difference so the mm. passive investor is the one that falls into that trap they're not always looking at the numbers changing the figures modeling forecasting making those adjustments to mm. give them longevity or the passive investor that'll just will tackle the problem when it happens rather than prevention is better yeah. than the cure and that not might not just be around cash flow management portfolio management it might be about maintenance and repairs or it might which then you know accumulate mm-hmm. into a big deal mm. or it might be around yeah entity structure accounting you know whatever it is people tend to be more reactive rather than yeah. proactive to the portfolio it's the, it's the small adjustments that actually make the journey rather than the big tax and and big splay uh, out of of money it's the small adjustments all along the way that actually makes the journey yeah so down back to the point of not being the merchants of doom and gloom been a bit gloomy so let's talk about the positives of this current market so to your point Victor if it's time to invest in property when you can Yes. Personally, mm-hmm. invest in property, it's a good take, point. Take a medium to long-term view. Don't try and get immediate wins. If it happens, good luck, but it's medium to long-term. So are you fielding most phone calls from current customers or previous clients who are now rethinking of buying more? Or is it more sort of new-to-market property investors? A bit of both, a bit of both. Uh, certainly the people that have had the good portfolio set up uh, in the beginning now, they're in a position to say, hey, I've got a lot more surplus money. The properties that I've bought, we've brought forward a granny flat construction, I've negated all of my negative cash flow, let's go again. Mm-hmm. Let's build a second tranche of properties. And for some, we actually turn around and say, you actually don't need to buy anymore. You need to stop buying now and start paying this down so that you actually reach your goal. Mm. Because a lot of people mistake action for results. And you need to be making sure that you are results orientated in the sense that you are actually trying to either get to an income or get to an outcome in terms of your portfolio as opposed to just continually being transactional. I think depending on when they started those the other answer mm. to that to yeah. that question. So if we look at you, you're now seeing a second cycle from the end of when you first started yeah, investing, true. which is at the the back end of the GFC. Yeah. And so you have seen that moment in time where we had amplified growth, sideways growth, we gave a little bit back and now you've just seen the second run. Mm. So there are lots of clients that are in your position where they're saying, well, you know, we don't need to do something now because we're just going to, we've set the foundations. Mm -hmm. Now time will do its work, third time around, so to speak. Mm. And there are others, depending on what their plan was, that they might have bought forward the second decade, if you will, to start saying, right, how do we eradicate debt? Because the the end goal is not to live off equity. Mm -hmm. The end goal is to be unencumbered. That's the idea. And, And, you know, we're going through this now, this current round of growth, which is nice to see uh, the value of the portfolio going up. But, you know, the catch-22 with that is that there's a lot of work in our portfolio, Smart Property Investment Portfolio, which makes it quite a sloppy portfolio, and that is mainly around mortgage interest rates and, to your point, Vic, a lot of stuff now, principal interest, which is only making it even more expensive to hold that portfolio. So, you know, before we want to start doing any more buying, got to get the- you got to get the bottom line right. got to get the bottom line right. But let's explore that. So Mm. let's just take your scenario, the Smart Property Investment Portfolio as a- 
someone else's portfolio, as an example. So we've entered into a time because of the crisis that it is easier to borrow money today than what it probably has been in the last five mm-hmm. years at a better rate. Yeah. There is no better time to restructure, restructure portfolios now, whether it be that, remember that big, the narrative around the interest only cliff face? Yep. Not, wasn't going to happen. Yep. Or the whole P&I mm-hmm. scenario or the property's going down by 30%. Yeah, whatever the narrative was, there's always a crisis just depends on the size yeah. and your interpretation. But because of the major crisis being COVID, rates are lower, which is a sign of the, the economy wasn't that healthy. Mm. The ability for the banks to hand out money so much more easier than what it was yesteryear yeah. gives the people that are invested in last cycle even people that are starting today, but we'll just talk about the people from last cycle, to take this moment in time to adjust accordingly. Now, whether that means to consolidate their loan types, it might mean going P&I at a sexy rate, it might mean staying at interest only, or it actually might say the bank is willing to give me money today. Let's take the SPI portfolio, just as an example. Mm. The bank is willing to give me money today. They weren't yesterday. I should take this money and I should do something with it because it might be 10 times, 100 times more harder in the next three years. So it's a moment in time. While the bank is, and I preface this by saying everyone's unique, but while the bank is willing to give you money, you should take it. You don't necessarily have to spend it. Mm. It just opens up the opportunity. Yeah, so the whole uh, adage you make, hey, while the sun is shining, and you know, in many ways the sun is shining, we've got a, uh, an economy which is emerging out of COVID-19 in pretty reasonable shape. You've got... Uh, record low lending environment if you can get a mortgage and it's a little bit easy to actually get a mortgage you've got a government and government intent you know saw from the government they want to promote growth right wage growth job growth they want Australians to feel wealthier and they're going to keep inflation in check as a result of that 100 percent. but if we you mentioned a minute ago about like it sounds like that we're being a little bit doomy and gloomy Mm -hmm. we're not we're just speaking historically and factually based on the last crisis that we Mm -hmm. went through we invested well before it and through it and the repercussions are very, very similar, both going into it, different trigger points, but also coming out of it, I would believe. Yeah. So how long are we going to be in this environment for, Vic? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It's something that, you know, no one can predict the future, right? So yeah. we, we can look at trends and we can look at, if you look at the government's rhetoric of when the international borders are opening, they're saying late next year. Mm. So we know at least we're in here in this for at least a year. Uh, and um, if you look at the rate prediction of the bank's Look, they're saying rates are not going to go up. Others are saying rates will go go down. Uh, others are saying you know, it'll remain the same. You need to look at it from a viewpoint that the reset of rates when it does go up is above 4%. Yeah. And we need to cater towards that. When you're buying a property, we need to look at it and do our figures at the 4% so that if it does go up there, we can afford it and then look at what it's costing you right now. These are the anomalies within people's lives because mm-hmm. if you get stuck at 4%, one might argue that you've actually taken your eye off the ball mm. and not fixed rates accordingly. And mm. let's imagine that you did that for five years. That's that five years of certainty in terms of your, your outgoings, but it's what happens after that five That's years right. as you come off the rates, which nobody knows what's going to happen in, in their life. And in terms of the borders and when they're going to open, no one has a clue. Yeah. And the other part of that question is more maybe is – when the borders open, at what point will the borders open to make a difference mm. in terms of the volume of people coming in and out? Yeah. That's, and that's, 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 that's the real some, question. That's some time away. And you see the 
the Virgin CEO coming out saying open the borders this year, even if, if some, some people, people have that, to that's, die. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm hoping that she was taken out of context. Maybe. That was a pretty big call. But we're sort of talking about this bubble, right? That's a nice safe bubble that we're in right now, but – yeah, at a point in time, we we have to open up the borders, and you know, now they're trying to accelerate uh, vaccines, right? Saying, "Hey, get in there, get vaccinated, and you'll be allowed to travel soon." But yeah, but it's it has to be if we it has to be a worldwide yeah effort because up until that, we're in a very disjointed worldwide community and economy, mm. and for that to happen, everyone's getting vaccinated or whatever it may be. But for Australia, I think if we if we try to forecast a little bit, not so much around the border opening. But when there is that enough volume to make a difference and therefore the rest of the world is probably in the same boat as mm. well, we've probably, I believe, we've got a three-stage market. And that three-stage market is we're already at stage one where we've seen some pretty good growth throughout most of the areas. I would believe that we've reached peak rate of growth. In fact, I think mm-hmm. I, I called I think it, it. I think it topped out 8% in Sydney in uh, March. Yeah, I, I, I talked yeah. about it in March. I said, I think we've... That's it. The shine start starting to get yeah, out of the you market. Can't, you can't maintain that, that rapid growth. But that's that point I made also. That was sort of the take-up of all that latent demand. That was there. Correct. That yeah. was the euphoric yeah. stage, if yeah. you will. And whilst I think we've reached the peak rate of growth, I don't for one minute think that we're going to go sideways. Mm. I think it'll become more about choice. So the FOMO factor will start to diminish yeah. a little bit. We also talked about the first homeowners and the upsizes and the downsizes we're just going to get sick of being flogged at auctions yeah. or private treaty and they would recede from the market, therefore topping out in combination yeah. with more listings. We've now passed that. I'm going to call it four weeks ago. But the second stage of the market will be we'll get back to a, an element of normality when the narrative around rates and certain economic conditions start to become more prevalent and people will just say, okay, well, now we're in a normal cycle. We don't know how long that cycle. It could yeah. be a two months, could be two years. Yeah. Then you'll start to see the third stage of the market, which will be when the borders open enough in terms of volume, which will start to absorb supply mm. in some of those areas and then emanate out to the suburbs, which are already potentially undersupplied. And that'll be the third phase of the cycle. So it's almost like a, if there was cameras, it's up. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. steps. Yeah. It'll be step step going up, but there'll be three steps. Yeah, I'd, I'd sort of largely agree that that thesis, Stephen. You know, eight percent growth in a quarter is ridiculous. But what I am starting to see, no doubt, you guys are actually seeing on the ground truth. Every location got an uplift in that March quarter, irrespective of where you are in Australia. But what's got to start happening now? You can't be guaranteed that every suburb, every asset, every location is going to move at the same speed. You're going to start getting two-speed markets, as in those locations which had the inherent reasons why they should be going up in values, whereas you're going to get those which have just swallowed up all that demand and they'll just start flatlining again. And I would probably say there was a three-tier market. Mm. So there was the attached yep. in the inner city subpar, sub-quality stock, which was largely catering for the transient. Like students yeah. and backpackers. And, and service industry around the city, yeah, which, yeah. which suffered horrifically whilst everything was still going up in the detached yeah. sort of areas. Sydney did extremely well. We targeted the Central Coast probably 18 months ago, so Mm. before COVID. Then when COVID hit, we doubled down. And I'd argue that we've had 30% growth Mm, there. Easily. As well as rents going through the roof to the point going back, say, let's call it four months ago, where you'd put a property up for rent, there'd be 15 applicants paying over asking and advance because that was the 
sort of liquidity of the market. It was very, mm. very tight, but it's only a mirror image of multiple markets like that across Australia, which was always going to happen pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. It's just that COVID has brought that inflection point between supply and demand forward. Yet the other tier of the market is still oversupplied, and that's the attached dwellings. Yeah. Is the attached dwellings in Gosford? How are they going? The Central Coast market? They've actually taken up because the yeah. Central Coast has had a – it's had a um, – This is the infill that'll happen just through – Well, it's because people got out of town. Mm. So there are so many owners that have were renting in Sydney that have taken the coastal lifestyle which is affordability and lifestyle. And what's that done is- it's, And the North Connects, which is a great and bit we of talked about Yeah, we talked <laughs> about that. Like years ago, the North Connects is going to make mm-hmm. a massive difference to that coastal mm. to that coastal. What region. we're talking about there is the new, what's it got to be about five or six Ks, right? A, a tunnel. It's, it's open. A tunnel, yeah. 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 So it's made a massive difference. And so a lot of the fundamentals, if not all of them, were there. All the ingredients were in the pot. Mm. It took the crisis- Amplify it. To expose mm. the area. Because a lot of people didn't know it existed, and there's places like in Melbourne, same thing. Yeah, down the surf coast, mm. same thing with Brisbane in the Bayside areas. Same thing with Perth. Same thing with Tassie, South Australia. The crisis has just highlighted what was already there. So, in summary, Victor, this particular podcast, mm-hmm. give us the oracle, the oracle, uh, one minute on that. Well, you're going to start investing with the future in mind. So, looking at it, first of all, affordability right now. More importantly, affordability when the rates do go up and what you're going to do to mitigate that risk in your portfolio so that you don't do the heavy lifting now and then lose all of your gains at a time when the interest rates are higher because Mm. you can bet that most people that aren't planning forward will run into trouble at at that point in time. Now, we don't know whether that's two years, three years, 10 years down the track, but that will be a point in time where there'll be a lot more statistics in terms of mortgage in possession or for sales because people haven't planned forward well enough. So this whole podcast essentially don't become a statistic, Steve. Don't become a statistic, but also don't not be negative, be tactically aggressive mm. because I think it's still as good a time as I've seen in 21 years. Yeah, and they reckon it's a, uh, tactically aggressive is a, a doctrine they teach all warfighters saying, you know, always be on the front foot rather than the back foot, but you've got to be tactical about how you actually go about chasing those fights. Absolutely, because if you back yourself into a corner trying to protect your position mm. with you know, sort of no amplification, you actually go backwards. And you do get some wins. You It's good for morale if you are moving forward rather than going backwards, all those type of stuff, you know, you go on. It's a great environment and ecosystem what we have today. Mm. So take advantage of it. So if people want to chat with you guys about uh, being tactically aggressive in this market, you guys Same as open doors. What, what, what's, how, how do you get in touch with you guys? Questions at Right Property Group or just ring the office or the yep. socials, whichever way you want to get in contact with us. Um, or just go onto our website and um, book in a phone consult uh, and uh, you'll be speaking with uh, Melissa and she will take you through all of our process and how we can help you and then uh, set up a time for you to either have a chat with myself or Steve. And to set expectations that you guys are busy, how, how quickly can someone actually have a yarn of you guys? Yeah. There's a bit of a process yeah. uh, and there is a little bit of a wait. You've uh, got to do some homework, no doubt, before. Yeah, that's there's fine. quite a lot of homework yeah. to do beforehand and that's yeah. I think this is a really important point because you'll see a lot of people through the socials say, look, you know, get your blueprint mm-hmm. or get your strategy session or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And it's a little bit misleading because a strategy can't be created until – someone knows your entire position sort of intimately. Yeah. yeah. That's when the strategy can be reverse engineered or the strategy created by reverse engineering. That's when you guys can be most effective if you have all the information. We'll be honest though as well. If we think mm-hmm. that you've, you've got homework to do and go away and 
you know, do it and reach these certain milestones or targets or benchmarks, then that's what it'll be as well. Which is okay. And, um, you know, all sportsmen have good coaches, right? They'll tell them what they need to do to be more effective. So for many property investors, that's probably that's where it starts, some ground truth, home truths saying, hey, get all this done before you can even think about being tactically aggressive. Yeah. True. <laughs> there you go. Good point. Nice. All right, gents. Uh, always enjoy catching up. Thanks for that. Uh, very informative and um, – you know, just to summarise, this by no means is us being uh, pessimistic about this current market. We're all big advocates of property as an asset class and uh, we all see great opportunities in this market because I am, and I can't speak on behalf of you, but, um, you know, we're ready to go, you know, and I like to think we're always ready to go. There's always some bits that need fixing up, uh, finance being one of them, but, um, you know, don't go into this market looking for the negatives, look for the positives, but be realistic about where those mistakes can be made and learn from the experience of others. Um, there is ways to mitigate a whole bunch of uh, negatives in property by being smart and making sure you've got the right people on your side. Investing Insights, the right property group. I hope you enjoyed it. There's um, many, many episodes if you want to go back and listen to them. And irrespective, even if they're a couple of years old, fundamentally the information remains the same. It's just the dynamics of the market which may be evolved. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.